Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Which one is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine, it's not that at all. It's the opposite of that, it's to persuade there's a world outside of that. That's why sports are important. Maradona turns like a little eel and comes away from trouble. The little squat man leaves it for dead. There's Beckham, there's Milan, there's Beckham! England are scoring a lot of goals at this tournament. My, oh my, that'll be an average of three per game. They haven't conceded one in the last three matches either, but they haven't faced Kylian Mbappe yet or new record French goal scorer Olivier Giroud for that matter. You're welcome to your Sunday night World Cup podcast. Hi, Kieran. Hey, Owen, how's it going? It's going okay. It's going okay. It's going okay. It might be time to start reckoning with uh, England going on a run in a major tournament. Just you know, there is that slight flying the ointment that they're playing an amazing team. Yeah, in the quarterfinals. I mean, if you're if you were of a mind to get worried about such things, I wouldn't be that worried about such things, quite frankly, because Kylian Mbappe looks like he's in the mood to do something kind of unprecedented. Well, I say unprecedented. It is precedented in that Maradona won a World Cup by himself in 1986, Mm -hmm. and Mbappe is doing things at the moment that are pretty unbelievable. And if he puts three more performances like the last three he's put in, mm-hmm. uh, then you're, we are, that's the sort of territory, territory we're in. He no, was it's that, not. Yeah, come on, he, on. he could end up being as good as Maradona, winning the tournament on his own. Have you forgotten the, the record, man? The, the player who did do something unprecedented, at least for the French men's senior football team tonight. Mbappé, Mbappé qui peut donner à Olivier Giroud. Olivier Giroud, bien sûr. Olivier Giroud, toujours. Olivier Giroud pour l'éternité. Olivier Giroud dans la légende. Giroud pour l'éternité, Murph. Pour mm. l'éternité. And you're saying, you forgot him 20 minutes later when your boy Mbappé started hogging the line lights half an hour, half an hour later. Quite, quite frankly, on yes. <laughs> oh, Giroud, toujours. Giroud pour l'éternité. 
we're going to that's a good one we're going to chat to Filippo Clare about all that and about Arsene Wenger's claim that the performance of teams at this tournament benefited from focusing on performance rather than political demonstration as in the ones that didn't focus on political demonstration with the ones, ones performing well in the early stages. He made those comments in his guise as Chief of Global Football Development at FIFA, so I'm sure Philippe Auclair will be interested in that. That is five goals in this tournament for Mbappe, two clear in the Golden Boot Stakes. Also five goals in World Cup knockout games, which compares quite favourably with some greats of the gamer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite favourably indeed. Uh, Lionel Messi won, Cristiano Ronaldo nil, killing Mbappe Five, <laughs> and that's in five. That's in five knockout games. Yeah. So he's he's averaging a goal a game in World Cup knockout games. Um, yeah, I mean Gary Lineker was tweeting about it. Gary Lineker actually has still has more goals in knockout games than Messi, Ronaldo, and Kylian Mbappe combined. So I mean, Does I'm he? not saying that these. Yeah, so <laughs> I'm not saying that these uh, these uh, stats are are you know they're they're gold plated, but at the same time they are indicative of a player who enjoys this level of competition. Well, you mentioned Messi's one, which he finally got on the board on Saturday night against Australia in his 1,000th professional football match. They do know how to roll their oars on direct TV <laughs> sports, Argentina. That's for certain. Ken was there to see Messi's sumptuous performance. We'll play that chat later in today's pod. Ken was there for his first look at England in the flesh in the tournament just this evening. So that'll be our first chat. There is another episode out for you, by the way, over the weekend with Murph and Ken reflecting on the end of the group stages, the turmoil of Luis Suarez in particular. That one is available for everybody, but only our World Service members will be in position to hear all our coverage of the last 16 during the week and bleeding into the quarterfinals which begin on Friday, don't they? Yes, they do. Friday. Secondcaptains.com, yep. five euro a month plus VAT if you want to sign up. We also can't wait to see many of our members in the Liberty Hall. What a week it's going to be ah! for, for the gangs out here and ah! suitably deranged noises you're making there. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking yeah. forward to it though. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, it's going to yeah, be fun. It's, it's going to be good. That's the gangs out here. End of your shows back in their rightful December slot. It should be said yes, as well. So yes. double the fun. It didn't feel right, did it? In March, you know, it was good. We enjoyed it. It was good. But there's something about Christmas. Christmas hasn't begun until we've hit Liberty <laughs> Hall. <laughs> Here's Ken Post England. There's a voice. <laughs> 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 oh my God. Sorry, mate. That's actually my seat. What you think doesn't really matter. Things are annoying to us. Walk away saying the word tosser. I had a number of Budweiser. I've got friends in low places. I'm going to have to re register myself as Aaron Ardvark. In the hotel, staff were like, oh, you need to go to the hospital, sir. Well, what's next for you? What's next for Hadaway? FIFA. Couldn't let me in. What a boy you are. Ken, England, three. Senegal, nil. Impressed? 
Yeah, pretty impressed um, in some ways, Owen. Uh, what impresses me about England is how clinical they are when they, you know, in terms of scoring their chances. And Senegal, I think, could learn a lot <laughs> from that, you know, because that was, I think, the, the biggest difference. Senegal had a couple of early chances, didn't make them count. England had a couple of chances and buried theirs, um, you know, and Bellingham is extremely good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, is an extremely good player. And I just, I do think, you know, there have been, there have been sort of rumors flying around here before that Bellingham wasn't going to be in the team. Mm-hmm. It seemed like uh, insane. Obviously, those rumors proved to be incorrect um, because, you know, you see people picking their England teams, you know, mm-hmm. my England 11. And, you know, some people are like, Sterling has to play. He's experienced. He delivers a big time. Some people are like, Foden is obviously the best thing to play. Obviously, he has to play. Other people are like, Rashford is in form. Rashford, he he should be playing. Others are like, man, Mount gives balance. You know, he gives a good balance to the midfielder. Others are like, Henderson, you know, <laughs> Henderson should, should come in there. Absolutely everybody has got Jude Bellingham in their team. Oh, oh yeah. Um, uh, luckily, so did Gareth Southgate um, tonight. Uh, luckily for England, anyway. And uh, I thought he was probably uh, the outstanding England player. Though they had good performances from a few players. Um, obviously, Kane uh, managed to score his first goal. Uh, Saka got his third of the World Cup, which is a fantastic performance from him. Ster- Sterling was actually the absentee, but not because he'd been dropped. The uh, um, England had released news just before the game that he was going to miss this game. He wasn't available because because he was dealing with a, an as yet unspecified uh, family issue. Um, so they so he went with uh, Foden. Um, Foden basically on the left, Saka on the right, Kane in the middle, um, Bellingham in the kind of number ten role and I thought that was probably the right choice and, and a back four obviously with Kyle Walker a right back meaning Kieran Trippier wasn't in the team if I was to be critical of England I'd say that their first half performance actually wasn't very good I mean they started off uh you know I, I think I, I think there were some very good things about them the, in terms of their clinical finishing the kind of speed uh their kind of expert counter-attacking like they ripped Senegal to shreds on counters the problem that they had was making things happen themselves from possession. And that was, they, they sort of lost their way, you know, in the first half. I mean, there was a chance early on for Bull Idea who, who kind of ran through. And all I could think looking at it was if this is Sadio Mane running through, this is a different situation. As it was, Stones and Maguire uh, managed to kind of snuff this one out between them. He sort of managed to get past Stones, but Maguire was there to, to sort of cover. Um, you know, and then England kind of got into the game, and there was a couple of hard crosses, sort of whacked across goal. Uh, always with Saka in the middle, it was Bellingham, I think, and Kane hitting these hard crosses. And you think, well, you know, maybe this should be the other way around or whatever. Uh, little Saka can't get these. Neither could Mendy, who kept coming for them and missing them. I was wondering if this was like a a ploy by have they noticed Mendy sort of being a bit indecisive or or coming for things he can't get. Um, and it's and it sort of felt for those first fifteen minutes like this is really only a matter of time before England break them down. And then weirdly they they just sort of lost control. You know, there was just a lot of sort of passing around at the back, lack of imagination. Rice and Henderson in midfield and with Bellingham not really able to make anything happen. You know, it was just uh, Maguire to Stones to Maguire to Stones. You know, just <laughs> sort of like uh, what what are we supposed to do with it? And actually Senegal then started to come into the game uh, and did have a couple of chances 
Um, there was one penalty shot where the ball, I think McGuire gave it away. Um, the ball came back down the right, crossed into the box. Dia had a shot, hits John Stones on the leg, then the arm, and then Ismail Asar coming in behind him, blasts the ball over the bar. I think Pickford was very close to him, so maybe it was a slightly difficult chance. But again, mm-hmm. it was it looked scorable. Uh, the VAR decided it's not a penalty because of the ball, even though it clearly hit Stone's arm, has hit his leg first. Um and then uh, Ismail Star started getting a bit of uh, the left winger for Senegal started getting some real joy attacking Kyle Walker, and this I think is is the is the big thing that Gareth Southgate is going to be thinking about tonight and before the France game, <laughs> because Kyle Walker is supposed to be England's best one on one defender. You know he's the guy who's quickest, strongest, hardest to beat. You know what I mean? You can see how players can walk past. Maguire, you know, Stones' strength mm-hmm. is not really defending. But Walker is supposed to be, you know, Walker um, reputedly, I think it was Jacob Steinberg said to me earlier, considers that there's nobody faster than him in the game. Now, it's not just a question of of, of speed, what Sarah was doing to, to him, but Walker obviously has uh, has had injuries or he's, you know, he's had, he had an injury for City, didn't play the last few games, I think, leading up to the World Cup. And I thought he looked well short of his best. You know, Sar was got Sar beat him, and then a, a couple of minutes later, did him again, and he should have been booked for for grabbing Sar. It was an obvious booking, and incredibly, the referee uh, let him away with that. Gave a free kick, didn't book him, which which was a terrible decision, I thought. Because I mean, what is literally what is the yellow card for? You know, he, a guy's been beaten. It's a dangerous attack, and he just grabs the guy. That's like, how can that not be a yellow card? I really do not understand some of the some of the refereeing I've seen. And you know, it was, it was a decision as ridiculous, although not as consequential. As the um, the one with the Arascada, the Uruguay stamp, which was just mm. ignored. You know, I was like, how can you ignore that? Anyway, uh, they took the free kick, think went out for a goal kick, and then England scored immediately from that. And it was as though Senegal were kind of asleep at the wheel a little bit with this goal kick and just kind of came down the left, Kane dropping very deep. Because I had been looking at Kane thinking, why are you, why, why are you playing in midfield so much? They've got three midfielders, you know, like a. What, what is your obsession with this? But, you know, he actually gets on the ball in midfield, turns, plays it through. Bellingham has, has run past him. Bellingham down the left, uh, rolls a ball across into part of Henderson, who's arriving from midfield. And Henderson, great left-footed, first-time finish, sweeps it into the net. A lovely goal, uh, 1-0. And, you know, all of Senegal's sort of pressure or possession that they built up over the last 15 minutes now just feels almost demoralizing. It's like, oh, you know, we, we thought we were we were getting on top here and now we're bang, we're behind. And so Senegal then tried to take it back to England again as the same sort of pattern. And England are more dangerous when the other team is having the ball, you know, compared to when they're trying to think of something. You know, when it's when it's Maguire and whatever, you know, you know what will we do? Um, it's better when the other team pushes up and then does something stupid like losing the ball to Bellingham. And this was the uh, probably Bellingham's best individual piece of play. I mean, he did lots of great things, but, you know, gets the ball, um, kind of shrugs off a challenge, sees a guy in front of him, just effortlessly goes past that guy, mm. you know, from a standing start. Glide, glides past man is what I have on my notes here, Ken. It's great because Bellingham's a big a big guy and to be able to do that, and, and he had no pace to begin with. It wasn't like he was coming onto a ball, was able to sort of use his, his speed to, you know, to beat the man. He developed the speed, easily went around this guy, seemed to know exactly what was happening around him. As Foden broke on the left, Kane on the right, picks out Foden. 
Foden's ball across to Kane. I think it hit the defender and actually made it even a slightly better pass for Kane. Just came into his path, takes a touch, and then just whacks the pass to keeper. So at that point, you're like, well, this is a game over because Senegal uh, are not a free-scoring team. Um, they've already missed chances. It, you know, England are going to... England are 2-0 up. Very, very lethal on the counter-attack, as we've seen. Senegal are going to have to come after them if they want to, if they want to score, and England are going to score again. And in fact, that is what happened... Uh, again, it was Senegal around halfway, kind of a silly pass. Shaw steps in, intercepts. Shaw, Foden, Shaw, Kane. Foden is now running away down the left. Kane into Foden. And Foden, with that funny style he has, like he's kind of, his, his like arms seem to be sort of out. He's like, he's, <laughs> he's a funny little creature. Uh, should I, is that a patronizing way to describe Phil Foden? Yeah, I, reasonably patronizing, but I will allow it. He's kind of <laughs> on his toes and his arms are kind of out wide and he's just sort of almost dancing along. And uh, Koulibaly comes over and he kind of uh, puts a pass through Koulibaly's legs and Saka's there. It's just you know, he's such an easy, uh, makes it look so easy, I should say. Uh, the ball's coming across and just dinks it over. He's, uh, Mendy, 3-0. He's doing a lot of damage from the left, Phil Foden, for a player who... You know, we know that Southgate prefers the idea, as most managers do these days, of the opposite-footed player playing on each wing. But he's doing he's done a lot of this traditional. That's a, it, was, it was as traditional wing play as it gets. His setup with that goal. I, I don't want to just gloss over Bellingham though, because I think he's probably the biggest story of the day. His <clears throat> the timing of his of his passes. That first goal. He just, I saw whatever commentator... He delays was watching, the pass. Yes, whatever co-commentator or commentator I was saying was, said, oh, he didn't really, he just had to put it in an area there and hope somebody was there. I didn't think so. I thought he delayed it just enough to give himself the angle and give Henderson a chance to, to get to the area he needed to be in. Then he released it, which is perfect. And as you described there, they just said, no, there was nothing fancy about his pass to Foden for the Kane goal. But having mm. already... You often see players tear past one or two and then not really sure what to do or they just, they try to beat another one but he just made the right angle for himself and again, just played the perfectly way to pass at the right time. Again, this is the kind of stuff that most 18-year-old players you wouldn't expect to have in their locker. Not 19, 19. Yeah, I would also say though that counter-attack goals are supposed to look easy. You know, like really brilliant counter-attack uh, teams make it look easy. It's just the right pass hit at the right time to the right person and then a second pass hit at the right time to the right person. And that's usually enough to get you 70 yards up the pitch. So, I mean, forget about 19-year-olds. It's actually not that common for midfielders to to do it as perfectly as Bellingham And did he's it. physically imposing and he can beat players and he knows when to release. He's like a rich man's Declan Rice. Here, listen, is there any chance of us getting middle-aisle Jude Bellingham to declare back for us? Because, like, what's, <laughs> what is even the point of Declan Rice anymore? Well, someone has to mind the house while Jude Bellingham's out there winning the game, you know? <laughs> someone's someone's got to mind the garden. They could get... They could get so, so someone's going to be Jude, Jordan Henderson, Henderson's deputy minder of the house while <laughs> Jude Bellingham goes assisted and wins the World Cup the, Assisted to the... Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah look, he... I mean, you, you, he, it wasn't really a game in which Declan Rice was much in evidence, uh, I suppose. It was, a, it was an easy game. I mean, from that point on, the game was, was just about... England's trying to avoid injuries, conserving energy, giving lads a run out, you know, Rashford, Grealish. Um, Harry Kane Phillips. didn't come off, did he? No, he didn't. No. Nah, he won't really. He won't Harry, Kane's the same, Harry Kane's the same as Messi. I mean, if, if, if Southgate was honest about it and he, uh, he'd say, well, if Gareth, if, if, uh, if he, if, he, if he tells me yeah, to take yeah. him off, I'll take him <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was, you know, I know it was easy and, and Senegal, there wasn't really, there wasn't much they can do. They didn't have the quality to do it. They were missing 
big players. Obviously, uh, we knew that they've they've done reasonably well. I think to, almost to overcome that loss to get to this point. Although they they were in one of the easier groups, and once they had sort of missed those chances and England scored theirs, then yeah, I mean um, they were never coming back here. So really, all uh, England were, were already thinking about France. I think from from halftime in this game, and I think there's a few things to think about. You know, France, I think, are the best team England will have played in a tournament since Southgate has been the manager. You know, if you look back... Yes. Yeah. They, I mean, yeah. They, they, they played Belgium, sure, in, in 2018 when Belgium finished uh, third, lost to France in the semifinals. And Belgium actually beat England in both the games, but neither game was really a proper game no. because one of them was a third, the third group game when... Um, both sides had already qualified, and one of them was a third place game that neither side really cared about. So, uh, you know, then they played Germany and they played Italy in the Euro 2020 campaign and also beat Denmark in the semi. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that this French team is, is clearly a level above either of those sides. Um, and when you see what Mbappe did earlier on today, um, two goals and an assist, and just absolutely destroyed Poland. I won't say single-handed because there was other French players who were, you know, Olivier Giroud broke the French mm-hmm. scoring record, obviously. Um, they, you know, they looked really in control of the game. One player can't control a game of his own, but the, the two goals were just absolutely sensational. It was like, here I am, you know, I'm the best. I, I, heard, I heard a lot about Lionel Messi last night, my my clubmate. Messi's a good player, but uh, I'm going to let you finish, but I am, actually the best, I am the best player in the world right now. You know the 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 combination of power and speed and skill and insight is, you know, he is he is the best player in the world. Uh, I mean, the pass. I know the 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 two goals are both incredible. You know, the the second the first goal that he scores, the way that he just takes his time before lashing it into the top corner. You, you're kind of like, what's taking you so long to get this shot off? But he's just like, yeah, you know, I've got plenty of time. And then the other one showing that he can go the other side as well. Um, but the pass to Giroud. To create the first goal was honestly nearly as good, you know. Like so quickly, like he, the ball came into him, and just he's already turning and playing the ball through Giroud with a nice finish. Um, so France, who I saw play against Denmark and beat Denmark without really playing very well, do look a stronger team than England. And the big concern for England has got to be if Ismail Assar can do this to Kyle Walker, then what's Kylian Mbappe going to do? So. If I'm Gareth Southgate, if I'm going to try and imagine myself into Gareth Southgate's mentality, right? What is his his distinguishing mark sort of as England coach has been, you know, let's not lose the heads here, lads. Settle down. Take it easy. Or take it, you know, take it handy. Let's not uh let's not go what was the phrase, Steve? Um, Staunton used in his famous first press conference for Bobby Bobby Robson. I might go in there like a raging bull. Mm. That's the opposite of that. That's what the Southgate is like. The opposite of that, which is obviously the thing that he gets criticised for a lot by uh, people. Say, you know, the, the you know, a lot of the sort of media criticism will talk about leashes and shackles. I wouldn't want to see these lads with the shackles off. They've scored twelve goals so far in four games. Yeah, I know it's it's true. Owen. exactly. This is why I'm saying Southgate has done. Uh, you know, things couldn't have really gone better for Southgate to get to this point. They're the joint top scorers in the tournament along with France. Um, you know, so what if some of those goals are on the counter-attack? I mean, there's nothing wrong with counter-attacks and they're brilliant. They're a brilliant counter-attacking team. Um, 
But Southgate, I think, will not want to take the risk of playing a back four with Kyle Walker at right back against Kylian Mbappe. I think that he will change the team to Trippier. Tri- 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 oh, three of the back, uh, back, back three. I think back so. Five. Yeah, no, yeah, I don't think he's. I don't think he's going to. That's Kira, been kind Kira of. That's been kind of marked all the, all the way along, hasn't it? it? But I kind of find it strange that they haven't. That they're just going to revert to that now. Having not, have they played that in the tournament yet? I mean, maybe these players are well, uh, well adapted enough to changing systems that it won't be any problem. But it no, seems Dyer like... came on, but came on for Stones tonight. I mean, you know, there's there maybe there was an argument to be made to to try it now, uh, but like. At the same time, what's really the point? I mean, what do you actually learn from doing it for 15 minutes or 20 minutes against Senegal in the round of 16 game? In answer to your question, Owen, they have not played um, with a back five yet in the or back three, back five, whatever you want to call it, in the tournament. Uh, against Iran, it was 4-2-3-1. Um, against the US, again, 4-2-3-1. But that was a game in which um, the Americans had a disturbingly large percentage of action in midfield and also chances uh, and where where England themselves couldn't really get a grip of things so he brought Jordan Henderson in for the next game uh, which was a more convincing victory against Wales who I don't think are anywhere near as good as the United States and and moved Bellingham forward which is what obviously he did against Knight against Senegal but none of those teams are like France like England are far stronger really than those four sides. Yeah. I know the, Amer- the Americans obviously got the, the nil-nil and, play- and played well against them, but really England are looking at those teams going, yeah, this you know these are all winnable games. Against France, England will feel themselves to be, I mean, they are the underdogs. You know, France are the, are the world champions. They've got the world's best player. They've got really strong players uh, throughout their, uh, you know, stronger than England's players, more experienced players. Uh, when I say strong, I mean physically strong. I don't necessarily mean just mean strong to mean better. Uh, England have got some really good players, but I, I think if you're Gareth Southgate, are you going to think, well, I'm like, I'm going to go out there toe to toe with France, even though Kyle Walker, um, you know, got diddled by uh, by Ismail Assar and sent him out against Mbappe? Mm. I think you might think, no, I have to do something about that. I have to react to that. Now again, maybe he's not. Maybe maybe Southgate's just going to close his eyes and and say, "Look, it's the same. It's the same team. Just go out there and express yourselves." Lads. Maybe he will do that. <laughs> maybe that's what's going to happen. I feel as though he's going to bring in uh, Trippier, move Walker to the right of a of a back three, and yeah. then the question becomes, who comes out of the team? The answer being. Hey, you're asking me for a lot here. The answer okay, will end play. up being yeah. the the answer will end up being Jordan Henderson. No, he's not going to take Jordan Henderson out at this point. Declan Rice is hardly coming out, is he? No, well, I mean Rice isn't coming out. Obviously, Bellingham can't come out, can he? No, no, surely not. No, surely not. Hendo does Hendo come out? I mean, he did, he played quite well today. Scored a goal. Um, himself and Bellingham seem to have a real. Um, Close relationship. Yeah, they had a nice nose to nose kind of intimate celebration between the two. <laughs> I couldn't remember seeing a celebration quite as fond as that between these two foreign <laughs> friends. But look, uh, do you take him out? You probably, you probably do, right? Because I mean, if the if the formation is going to be three four three, then really that means two central midfielders. It's not going to be Bellingham who comes out. It's not going to be Rice who comes out. Surely, probably is going to be Henderson. You need you need your three forwards. Is Sterling going to be back? Well, we all know. Uh, more about that, I'm sure, over the, over the coming days. I still, I don't know exactly what what the situation is, whether they've been able to resolve this problem that kept them out of the game tonight, 
obviously Foden um, has been very good. Rashford has been good, but maybe maybe Rashford's been too good off the bench. You know what I mean? Maybe he's an, maybe he's an easier player to leave out for that reason because then you have someone on the bench. Yeah. Uh, and Saka, I mean, Saka scored three goals and just looked <laughs> fantastic. So, okay, they've they've got good options, but uh, having to change the formation doesn't mean maybe Henderson is the obvious uh, is the obvious um, choice. Uh, in that situation but I, th- I don't think it's an easy one if Southgate if England pull this one off against France Ken, I'll have no more of your Southgate bashing on this podcast because he'll have pulled one out of the hat if he can finish France with an absolutely prime Kylian Mbappe who we're about to hear about now you were also at the Argentina-Australia match oh. over the weekend so we'll hear about that one uh, after our chat with Philippe You should celebrate yourself every day But some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. They're all pampered. We haven't got leaders. They're all just headphones. They don't communicate. You can't get anything out of them. That's why we're no good. They're all just headphones. They don't kick around the pitch. They don't communicate off the pitch. They're all pampered. Oh, we're getting ready for Russia. Good luck. And then after that, we'll be building a team for Timbuktu. Timbuktu. How have England reacted to that equaliser? Perfectly. Um, no panic. Calm straight down. Continue dominating the game, playing and staying in Iceland's heart. It's been the perfect response. You'd think that no problem. England will after four minutes. And they still lost. Maggie Thatcher, your guys took a hell of a beating. Maggie Thatcher, your boys took a hell of a beating. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really, Sig Thorson. Oh, my word. Tell us, talk us through that, Steve. I think we know what's happened. Oh, just say, Sig Thorson. (laughs) just cannot... Philippe Claire, great to chat to you. How are you? Uh, I'm better than I was two hours ago and uh, probably not as uh, as well as I will be. Um, when is it? Wednesday? Thursday? Friday. I think Friday. It's Friday. Oh, Friday. It's Friday. Friday mm. night, whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, actually. 
Yeah. Relief, why? Were you actually concerned you were going to lose to Poland? Um, I'm always concerned when France starts as a clear favourite in the game. Uh, usually it's not something that works out well for us. But in this particular case, it did. So I'm not going to complain. I feel I feel bad for one man here, Philippe. Poor Olivier Giroud. Olivier Giroud. <laughs> yeah. I was intending, he scores the goal. I'm thinking we're going to have a nice big chat about Giroud with Philippe. And then well, Mbappe. We can. I know we can. We're just Mbappe steals all the headlines again. Okay. Okay. Let's start with Giroud then. Let's talk about Giroud first. Should he? I don't know. I don't, I don't think that, that Killian should steal the headlines again because when you think about what a day it's been for, for the French, uh, for French players, Hugo Loris is equaling the record number of appearances for mm-hmm. a French player, 142. That's amazing. Um, Antoine Griezmann, who was again absolutely magnificent, and we've got to talk about Griezmann in his new role, uh, has played his 71st consecutive game for France, which is just, I, I just can't believe I'm saying this. And Olivier Giroud not only scored an absolutely beautiful goal uh, to uh, go above Thierry Henry in, the, in France's mm-hmm. all-time greatest goal scorers, but also had a, a superb all-round game. And I think his first touch on uh, Keenan's first goal was just sublime and, um, you know, tells you all you need to do. I mean, his performance tells you all you need to, to know about, about him today. And then on top of that, of course, we've got the young man uh, who scores two <laughs> astonishing goals. Where can we start? So we we can talk about about Olivier Giroud. I mean, it's absolutely magnificent. Well, the yeah, the question, Philippe, is that you know whether or not this guy gets the respect he deserves. He's now scored fifty two goals for France. He's the record. I goal think he scorer. has it now, don't you he think? Does. Don't yeah, you well, think? I, well, I, yeah, well, I, 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 I certainly respect. But to put it this way, uh, you know, one of the uh, there's a lot of WhatsApp threads going around, and one of the guys in here texted. One of the guys, I mean, his name is Simon. And he was like, Giroud is amazing. He said, I've just decided Giroud is amazing. You know, and I said, there's a lot of people who are probably thinking this. Like, you know, it took, it's, it's a bit like Benzema. It took a while. It's only really in the last few years that people have decided Benzema's like world class and an absolute amazement. And maybe the same thing is belatedly happening with Giroud. For very different reasons. Um, but uh, the fact is that Karim Benzema stood in Ronaldo's shadow, Cristiano Ronaldo's shadow for... A very long time in Madrid, and people didn't realize um, how brilliant um, a centre forward he was because um, he's first and foremost a team player, as is Olivier Giroud, by the way. And uh, when it comes to Giroud, I think it's he is not what he seems to be, and I I think it's a kind of um, dissonance between the perception that we have of him as as a human specimen almost. And what he actually does on the football pitch, which I think quite a few of us find difficult to reconcile mm-hmm. because it doesn't look like he should be that kind of player, but he is. And he's a subtle player. He's an intelligent player. He's technically superb. He is, um, he's got a magnificent sense of uh, positioning and space. He's a wonderful and very cute finisher, as we saw again today. But he is that colossus. You know, you look at him, he looks like a Kouros, like one of those um, antique Greek statues. And he's a magnificent human specimen. And and I think people tend to be fooled by by his appearance. And because of that, decide this is the kind of footballer he must be. And he's not. And this is why today he scored his 52nd goal for France. This is why 
every single club that has ever released him or let him go or pushed him towards the exit has regretted it. This is why every single club which has welcomed him after he was pushed out towards the exit uh, has been congratulating uh, themselves about uh, taking him on, be it Arsenal, Chelsea or, or Milan. So he is, and I think we have to get used to that idea um, because also he, he can be, he can appear slow and ponderous, uh, more of a dray horse than, um, hmm. you know, one of those beautiful Arab horses that you will see um, screaming across the sands in the desert. Um, he's not that physically, but he's many other things. And today we can say, as I've been saying for a very long time, he's simply one of the very best players France has ever produced. He is. Mm. He genuinely is. And it's not because he looks like what he looks, that he should be denied the the respect he deserves for that. Uh, One of the things that I think marks him out uh, from other top-class players kind of uh, throughout the history of the game, throughout the, the moment in the game that we have now as well, is a complete lack of ego uh, I think looking at it from the outside that he obviously has a uh, cast iron uh, uh, confidence in his own ability but he's also prepared to say well if Deshaun wants to play uh, Benzema then that that's fine if if I'm called upon I know I can do a magnificent job for this team and he he appears to be just serenely able to deal with the kind of slings and arrows of a football career better I think than you have any right to think a player who has scored a half century of goals for one of the great national sides uh, has. And I think that that's, that's a key part of his armoury, just this ability be, to, to say, if I'm not wanted at Chelsea, if I'm not wanted at Arsenal, that's fine. I'll go somewhere else. I'll be respected there. If I go into the French national team, I'll be respected there. If I'm not on the team, that's fine too. I think that that, that is maybe the thing that sets him apart. Yes, I, I remember having a conversation with him when things were not going too well at Arsenal um, about seven or eight years ago. And we met, um, you know, beyond the mixed zone and we had a chat about how things were going for him. And um, things were difficult because he was used as, as a sub or he clearly wasn't the first choice for the team any longer. And, you know, we, we thought, we journalists thought, well, he's going to look for a way out. And uh, he said, you know, in typical Olivier Giroud fashion, um, looking at you in the eyes, say, no, no, I'm going to stick around and show them that um, I can do it. I can do the job. And um, and so he did. And he was back um, He was back in the team. And that's his attitude. It's probably due to the fact that you have to think that this, this young, he's still a very young man, um, certainly compared to me. And um, he, he still was playing in the France's third division when he was 23. So he's not somebody who's gone through a normal, he hasn't had a normal pathway, so to speak, to superstardom, and he's not a superstar anyway. So, and his work ethic has been absolutely exceptional uh, from day one, but his confidence in what he can do has also been. Um, and it's true, it's very unusual to see somebody who can combine uh, incredible self-confidence with a total lack of ego when it comes to playing football. And I think when you've got those two qualities together, you're a very, very good man. You're a very, very lucky, excuse me, manager to have a player like that with you. And 
And Deschamps is very lucky in that regard because he's got two like this. He's got Giroud and he's got Griezmann. Two players who are willing to um, work very confident, trust their own abilities, and are also capable of putting themselves at the service of their national team, of their team, completely. Um, and uh, which is a huge advantage to have, honestly, um, when you're manager of a national team. You're loving Griezmann by the sounds of things at this World Cup, Philippe. What is it about him? I think that what he's doing in this World Cup is absolutely astonishing. And he's not going to make the headlines. But when I see a player who is actually very near the top in terms of goal scoring, when you look at France's all-time charts, when you see a player who's been scoring gold, goal after goal after goal after goal for Atletico, and you, and you see him accepting to play in that kind of Andrea Pirlo role, deep-lying playmaker, completely against what is, um, you know, the grain, as far as he's concerned. He's always played as a as a nine or a nine and a half, or sometimes a support striker, but that's not what he's doing these days. He's really a deep-lying playmaker, like uh, Daniel Bravo was for PSG. Apologies for the French uh, reference. But yes, what Andrea Pirlo did... Uh, at the end of his career, when he moved from you know being a number ten to being the uh, the register just in front of of the back four, and, and Griezmann has accepted to do that, and not only has he accepted to do that, he's done it with um, consummate intelligence and understanding of what his role is going to be. You saw as well today in the game how his role evolved during the during the the, the, the match. He started very deep, and as France asserted its control over the game, he was going forward and, for, you know, more forward. And he did. He does that, and there's absolutely no ego in there. I mean, how... It, this should be obviously basic for any football player. That's what you're taught at, in any football team. But to have players of that calibre doing that without looking... I'm actually looking happy to do what they're doing. And Griezmann, honestly... Uh, he's assisted goals. Uh, he's played a huge role in, in France scoring goals in this World Cup. He hasn't scored one yet, um, unless I'm forgetting something, because mm -hmm. it's very easy to forget something in this <laughs> crazy the way the way games are going. But he's been absolutely one of he's been one of the stars, as has been Hugo Loris as well, by the way, who was tremendous again today. Um and 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 Deschamps, you know, in a way, that's what makes me quite optimistic for this World Cup, as far as France is concerned, is that Deschamps has got players who are very much like him in terms of their mental uh, outlook on the game. Uh, people who are... He's got the superstars who can do something extraordinary. Obviously, Kylian Mbappé, we're going to talk about him in a second. But also, you know, Dembele, Moussa Dembele has been better in this World Cup than they've ever seen him for the French national team, ever. Um, but he's got players who are willing to sacrifice themselves. If Giroud is not what he seems to be, as you said earlier on, what about Kylian Mbappé? Philippe, is he what he seems to be? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he is. Uh, he's probably the best attacking player in the world at the moment um, in terms of efficiency. Um, what, what can you say about him? I, I don't know. I, I've taken notes because, you know, that's what you do. You try to take notes to try to, un to understand what the hell is going on here. And there are moments like, you know, you put the pen down, you think, OK, that's Killian. You know, nobody has the right. It's, it's the quickness of thought. I, I was really, by the way, really interested to hear Mauricio Pochettino speaking on uh, our friends at the BBC 
for whom he's analyzing, uh, he was analyzing this game and talking about a player that he's he's been with, you know, uh, for for quite a while, and explaining that there was uh, something lacking from his game, um, which obviously is not finishing quality or trickery or technique or speed, but it is um, his positioning and the way that he understands space on the football game on the football pitch. Uh, which I have to say, there were several examples of it this evening, but there are progress. Progress has been made, I think, in that it's it seems ridiculous to say that, but he hasn't quite. If you look, for example, okay, if you look at the goal that Lionel Messi scored yesterday, uh, with you know the the bad first touch from Otamendi, which he turns into an assist, mm. and he just threads the ball into the corner of the net. That is based on preternatural perception of space on the football pitch. It's like I should be at this spot exactly at this time and do this little move to my left to put myself in the best position to hit the ball with the inside of my foot. Now, Kylian Mbappe doesn't do that. Kylian Mbappe has got all the talent in the world, but he's not quite at that stage of understanding of his position should be or uh, his movement should be because he's so good simply when he has the ball at his feet. I think, you know, many people have noticed that or, or make that um, that comment that when he has the ball at his feet, he seems to go faster, mm. um, which is, of course, absurd. It doesn't. But he seems to, to go faster because everybody else would go much, much slower and he doesn't. And he still doesn't quite have that, but he's 23. He's 23. He's already got five goals in this World Cup. Um, he will probably end up beating Miroslav Klose uh, as the top goal scorer in the World Cup. We we just don't know how far he, he, he can get. Um, I mean, I, I'd love to 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 hear you say what what you think about it because about him because I don't know. I've never seen a player like him. Yeah, it's that uh, explosiveness that I think is, you know, th- there's a moment after he's run five yards. So it's not one of those where he turns on a sixpence and he's immediately blindingly fast after five yards. But if he does get a chance to get five runs, uh, five yards of a run on someone, the next 20 yards are just like extraordinary to watch. Like like no other sports person I think that I've, that I've ever watched. You know, like there is... Um, like an element of it being unfair, <laughs> you know, when he when he gets the ball out of his feet, he gets uh, gets a five yard run on someone. After that, it's just it is extraordinary. But then there is also like it it. I think it's it's kind of similar to how we talk about Haaland sometimes, or how in a another in a totally different kind of way you've talked to us about uh, Giroud today, Philippe, in that kind of the physical attributes can blind you to the other parts because the two goals the two goals he scored today like the f- the finishes are legitimately unbelievable the f- the, for the first goal I think you could, there is one replay in particular where you can see his entire body is shaped to curl it into the far post and uh, Chesney takes a step to his left anticipating that and then this hammer to the near post I mean there aren't many players that have the confidence to to give a goalkeeper the eyes from 20 yards out. Uh, like, there, the, so the, the combination of just like the, the raw physical pace that he has and also this finishing ability that not many players have makes him, 
I mean, Messi is watchable, but it's it's kind of an emotional experience watching uh, Messi at this World Cup. Whereas with Mbappe, it's this visceral experience to just please get him into 10 yards of space and then watch him do things physically and ability-wise, the combination of which we're, we're not used to seeing. We, we, we haven't really seen many players do that. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's some pretty good stuff from a lot of French players today. There might be just one blot on the French copybook today, though, Philippe, if you don't mind me asking about Arsene Wenger, chief of global oh, football. De- <laughs> He's chief of global football development at FIFA these days. So he was doing this te- technical briefing on the group stage, being asked questions at one stage himself and Jurgen Klinsmann, who's part of the panel, were asked if the lack of preparation time has led to so many surprises in the group stages. Klinsmann gives a, a boring enough answer. Then Wenger comes in off his own bat and says, I just add that the teams who were not disappointing with their first game performance, when you go to the World Cup, you know you must not lose the first game, are the teams who have experience, have results in former tournaments like France, England, Brazil. They played well in the first game. And the teams as well who were mentally ready, like Jürgen said, who had the mindset to focus on the competition and not on political demonstration. Now, Klinsmann hadn't said anything about political demonstration. That was Wenger there. So I don't know what you made of his... He's not the first person to make a similar point. I mean, Eden Hazard was talking about Germany. He said they would have done better not to do their mouth, you know, mouths uh, closed gesture and win. We're here to play football, all this kind of stuff. It seems to be a growing, a growing, I don't know, backlash maybe? What do you make of what Wenger had to say? Uh, I, I, I don't know if it's backlash. I think it's totally ridiculous. I, I'm I'm very disappointed, if not entirely surprised by what um, uh, Arsene Wenger had to say. Um, he's been working with uh, B in Sport for a number of years. Uh, he's now decided to put um, his considerable expertise and experience at the service of FIFA. Um, you know, you have to lie in bed with those people. So, um, yeah, okay, you you go on with it and uh, you say things that they're probably quite happy for you to say. Mm. Uh, what was remarkable is that what he said was totally unprompted, is that there was absolutely nothing in the question that would normally um, bring you to talk about the political aspect of the current World Cup, which, of course, we should be talking about all the bloody time. Uh, he decided to do it of his own bat and uh, scored an own goal, to use um, um, a pretty bad metaphor. Um, I'm not exactly surprised. It's something that I'm seeing a lot at the moment in, in the media, and it's something that I was expecting. It's the Stockholm Syndrome basically uh, setting in, settling in, where people have such a limited experience of what is going on at the World Cup that they decide that anything that is not related to their own personal direct experience of the World Cup doesn't matter. So basically, as these people do not see anything that is related to women's rights, migrant rights, trade union rights, uh, political freedom, uh, freedom of speech, you carry on like that forever, Mm. as what they're seeing is uh, games which are well organized, uh, clean stadiums, uh, decent public transport, very well tooled up um, five-star hotels, and then they'll bugger off in two weeks' time and they will say how Qatar is a wonderful place. Well, yeah, okay. Um, I don't need to say much more about that. I think you can feel and understand what I, what I, when I think about that. Uh, it's particularly galling to see that in the, um, in the mouth of a, of a man who has been for a very long time somebody who has been associated with the uh, higher values uh, in the game, somebody who's been very vocal against um, um, teams deriving 
advantage from unfair financial yeah financial financial doping he was the one who coined financial that financial do- doping somebody who was up in arms against Bernard Tapie in in France against Roman Abramovich and others in England and who seems to have been well, first of all he's been he's been quite happy to take on to take the uh, the euros dollars and pounds of being sport and other people and um which is of course today doing as well during this world cup and then answering the call of the great football dictator Gianni Infantino and becoming a mouthpiece for him and these are harsh words but i mean them and um i i hope i will have a chance at one point to discuss with mr wenger um these this this choices of his um i don't think it will make for a particularly present conversation but because for me he was a model he was uh, an inspiration and i think for many other people and what we see what's happened um we simply is beyond disappointment it sounds like you're quite surprised that he has put himself in a position where he trots out a line like that are you no i'm not surprised no i'm disappointed right that's not quite the same thing mm, I, i'm I, i'm shocked but not surprised and and the thing is, he's going to get an awful lot of um, blowback from that, and and rightly so. Um, but I think it's, we, we've come to this point where there's this dissociation, and it goes way beyond Arsene Wenger and FIFA, um, where I can see and, and read on social media or in broadsheets or listen to on radio stations and TV stations to people who are using this quite extraordinary argument, if that's an argument, because it is not one, Mm. of, oh, you know what? I've been here for a couple of weeks. You know, it's not so bad. I can still get a drink at my hotel. Uh, People are quite nice to me and so forth. How how bloody thick have you got to be to understand what is at work here? You know, you would, if you had gone to... um, Germany, 1936, Italy, 1938, Argentina, 1978, you would probably have been able to say exactly the same thing. Hmm. Or, or of course, Russia, 2018, and Beijing, uh, 2020. Um, You would have been able to say that. It's the usual, that's that's why nation states and in particular dictatorships invest in, in sport. It's because you you buy useful idiots along the way. It's very easy. It's very cheap, uh, because people reduce everything to their own personal experience and don't think for one second about what's happening beyond um, the kind of um, Potemkin village that they're made to to see and visit. Okay. Well, I'm still enjoying the football, uh, but I'm I'm trying to enjoy the football with my eyes open, and I'm not going to um, and saying what what Arsene has been saying. It's not opening the eyes. It's actually ignoring what the message they should be transmitting to your brain is. As in, for example, ignoring the political dimension of this competition, as the Belgians have, by the way, because they completely chickened out. Didn't have the much in the football pitch, by the way. It could be pointed out to Eden Hazard. That, you oh, know. No, absolutely. I mean, Eden, and I, 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 find, I find more disappointing from Eden Hazard than from Arsene. And because I, I, I would have thought that Eden was a little bit more um, tuned in than that. And I would also give the complete, the perfect counterexample, which is the fact that the most overperforming team in, in this World Cup has been and will remain the team that has been the most vocal, most open and clearest 
about uh, the political side of this World Cup, i.e. Australia. Thank mm. you, Socceroos. Thank you. Uh, you were absolutely magnificent on the pitch and you were magnificent off the pitch too. So there you go. You showed the complete absurdity of, of this uh, uh, of this point of view. If that's, you know, I, I don't want to dignify it by calling it a point of view. Um, uh, of this pronouncement by 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 Wenger, and uh, which is, I mean, it's such a disappointment. I can't tell you. I mean, it's it's horrible. Philippe, listen, great to catch up. Thanks for bringing up, bringing us that point of view as well. Thanks a million. Okay, all right. Thank you very much, guys. All right, Ken. Let's get talking again. You witnessed Messi against Australia last night. How are Australia? Our Australia. They're our Australia. They're all our Australia now, or they certainly would have been if they'd scored that goal at the end and got level. Would they have been, actually? Would they have been the villains no. of the World Cup? No, they'd not everyone would have hated Australia. <laughs> yeah, true. Truly hated them. Yeah, nobody yeah. wants it. We've all been in that situation. You feel like the world is with you, but nobody really wants a workman-like team knocking out Leo Messi when he's in this kind of form. And no. it didn't come to pass. What was that like last night? Messi in particular. It was amazing. It really was amazing. I, it's so long since I've enjoyed a, um, uh, a game like that. Just in terms of, you know, being able to just just kind of going wow at this guy over and over again, and like the the crowd just going crazy, um, just sort of willing him to do. You know, he was completely in tune with the crowd, which hasn't always been the case. You know, with with Argentina, obviously, and there's been so many games where things have just been kind of weird or not going well or it's tension and he's kind of pale and like you know nothing is going right and this is just the opposite of all that it was like yes you know he's absolutely on fire here this is amazing to watch you know um it was brilliant it was it was fantastic the goal the goal was amazing for so many reasons probably the most amazing part the the execution from the point that he got the ball to actually scoring the goal was brilliant in its own right the type of stuff we've seen him do but maybe we shouldn't take it for granted that he's still able to pull this kind of thing off at his age in a World Cup match but the fact that he caused the scenario that created the goal with his pressing and his pissing off of the Australian defender Aziz Behic in the first place was Mm. remarkable you haven't seen that too often occasionally in his career he gets annoyed and presses Uh, he did it in this case yeah, I couldn't understand what was going on. <laughs> you know, when when they when when he ran after him, I was like, "What's he doing?" Like, it, this is just so uncharacteristic. R- running and pressing into the corner and winning the throw, and then obviously there was that sort of angry exchange between them. Um, but I I didn't see any previous incident or or provocation. Messi evidently just thought, "Okay, this would be a good place to." Um, and and what happened is that Behage was was wound up and mm. immediately gave away the free kick. Which then was, um, which then led to the goal. Um, where we were sitting in the stadium was row AA. That's the one behind row Z, uh, directly under the massive air conditioning vent. So it's absolutely freezing watching this game <laughs> in the highest possible row of the stadium. Um, but that, but at least that was right down, literally right down in front of me. I was at that end of the pitch and got a really good view of uh, of everything that happened, which was just messy. Uh, just sizing up the situation and like just you know he's like I know exactly what I need to do here I wonder is it going to come off and just executing it amazingly I mean the way that he shoots like so quickly 
you know, like it, he takes a touch off Otamendi, and then like the next touch is is a shot. But like you don't see the shot coming, you know, and it's in the net before you. Like the, you might say, oh, the goalkeeper, it's not, it's not right in the corner. The goalkeeper reacts late. The goalkeeper reacts when he sees the shot. Like he can't, you know what I mean? He, he, you know he's probably going to shoot, but you just can't anticipate the moment when he does. And by the time he has, the ball's halfway in. And um, and I think, you know, from that moment on, everything he did was amazing. And the whole crowd has just gone absolutely crazy for every single one of these moments. And there's more of those messy, messy sort of worshipful chants uh, than I've ever seen before at a, at a match involving him. You know, people are just looking at each other and laughing. I mean, this is amazing. <laughs> like, this is yeah. just amazing yeah, yeah. to be here to see this this is beautiful like this is you know it's like the farewell tour like except unlike you know the who, who was it who did the hell freezes over tour I can't remember some one of those old sort of dad rock bands mm. who said we'll tour again when hell freezes over and then their their reunion tour uh, much years later was called the hell freezes over tour. well there they, was the 25 uh, year Frank Sinatra farewell tour like literally yeah. there, it went on for decades you know hell the, freezes the, over the, was eagles the internet tells me was it yeah. Eagles? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, they, uh, there's never going to be. We know that's that, that's not going to happen. This is it. Like this, this could be. Like, you know, could have been the last game against Australia. Could be the last game against Holland, against Louis van Gaal. Could be the last game after that. Could be Brazil in the semi-final. I mean, a World Cup final. But you know, it's just it's just great that he's he's really playing well. Finally, he's he's really playing well for Argentina in the World Cup because year after year t- tournament after tournament for one reason or another it just hasn't happened for him you know even when he won the golden ball even when he won when he won best player in the world he really didn't you know he, he you see him receiving that award it's not just because they've lost because he's embarrassed to get it he knew like you know he played well in the group stage and then kind of just fizzled out in the knockouts didn't score had, had never scored a knockout goal in the world cup until until last night you know, and this is fifth tournament. I mean, Mbappe has got nine... No, no, well, no, not nine goals in the knockout stages. Is it five in the knockouts? He scored two tonight anyway. Um, obviously, absolutely phenomenal as well. But in a different way. I mean, this is a guy at the, ups- at the peak of his powers. Messi is like, <laughs> you know, he really can't run anymore. Like, has to just... Has to go past... Can only get by on pure skill and intelligence like has no ability to run but he did it so often in the second half I was amazed how many defenders did he beat in the second half it was real almost piss taking messy yeah 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 but it's all it's all little changes of direction or changes of acceleration it's not like you saw did you see what Mbappe did to Frankowski today Um, Mm. down the left wing you know that sort of kicked the ball past the guy and just run past him I mean to to to, be, to have that done to you in the World Cup finals, I mean, oh my God. The communion with the fans, like you touched on there, is amazing. You sent us, the, the support seemed absolutely wired up for this, for the whole game. You sent us on some audio, which we, we can actually bang it in now. It's the Argentina song that people will be hearing almost like pretty relentlessly through the game, even when, when things are a little bit slow on the pitch as they were in the early going even when they concede a goal and the team need a bit of, bit of a lift. And I presume especially after Messi scores his goal, it all gets ramped up a fair bit. Another thing that has been pointed out, I think Gavin Cooney might have pointed this out, you don't see that many of them with phones. It's, it seems to be, I'm sure there's plenty of them, but you know, in comparison to a lot of other nations' fans, like our own, I'd say, at this point, probably 70, 80, 90% would have, would have their phones out at these amazing moments, especially at the end of games. It's not quite the same. Uh, Argentina seem to be seem to be properly engaging with this messy experience. 
Well, uh, maybe it's because of the way that they um, do the the hand thing. Um, you know this. You know the sort of style that they have. It's a slightly, it's a slightly floppy wristed yes. action. Yeah. And uh, you know it's kind of the rhythmic thing, but the but the hand sort of it's almost like the outside of the wrist is is is, is facing forward, and they kind of flop it forward a little bit as they're uh, singing along. You know, in time to the music. So you can't do that holding the phone, right? Mm. I mean, you could, Did. but it would look it would look stupid. You're supposed to be like fluttering your little uh, your scarf or flag or whatever. You know, what I mean, yeah. and and it, like if, if if everyone's holding the phone, that doesn't work. So you know, Did. culture is the enemy of of technology. Yeah, they but they also I think take their role seriously. You know, like they're not there as dispassionate viewers of the Leo Messi show. They absolutely believe that they have a role to play. I mean, like the the difference in noise before and after Messi's little set two with Behich. Like it it was as you uh, reflecting on Messi's goal last night. I was like, oh god, you know, and it comes, it all comes from the throw in, from the yeah. throw in that he that he wins, but. It's not just that. It's the reaction to him winning the throw and the reaction to Beich getting in his face a little bit. Like, the place was electrified. I mean, it was it was a, a fairly uh, sedate pace for whatever it was, 36 minutes. It was a fairly sedate uh, uh, game to watch. And then all of a sudden, the crowd are into it massively. And I feel like it's not just uh, uh, an idea of them reacting to what's happening on the field. They... They think that they can set the tempo, and if fans think they can do that, then they're probably right. The second they decide that we make that much of a difference to the outlook of our team, then you know if if you believe it, it it's almost gonna it's gonna happen if you believe it. Yeah, well, I mean they're, they're doing it the whole time, you know. I mean the the they have these lads standing behind. The, they were the far end of the pitch from me. They were all just standing on the wall behind the goal, like as though they were back in Buenos Aires, you know. And obviously the stewards, you know, didn't bother to uh, excuse me. Uh, <laughs> you've got to sit. It's like, okay, well, well, I suppose we'll just let them do this. And you know they've got the drums and they're kind of leading these chants. So they were doing it all throughout. And every so often the sort of rest of them all join in. And I actually love that song. That they're uh, singing muchachos. Uh, let's give it another is, blast, there, guys. Let's 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 throw that in there again. Yeah, I really like it. I mean, it's just this because it's kind of both sad and happy at the same time. <laughs> and you know, it's it's like it's, it hits a kind of a sweet spot. And uh, also the the rhythm of it, they're they're great at singing in rhythm. You know what I mean? Like you hear crowds, you know, say English football crowds or whatever. The chants are usually um, short and to the tune of. Either Sleep John B or, uh, you know, I mean, we all, there's about, there's about five tunes, you know what I mean? Whereas these are like long, complex songs with like a lot of lines that everybody knows, you know? And they stick, they stick with it all the way through. And, uh, I mean, if you're asking me, it's more to my taste. It's, I mean, it's just better. Yeah, I think uh, that's, that's the way that I, it's the way I see football, it's the way I see life. What can I say? So, uh, they have, um, yeah, they've been making a big impact. And obviously, there's the, like loads of the fans there weren't from Argentina either. I mean, it's a, you have an overwhelmingly blue and white crowd in the stadium. Not everybody is coming from Argentina or knows these songs. A lot of, a lot of them are uh, holding up their phones, you could say, because they're just drinking in the experience. Um, but it was, it was amazing. And I mean, the other thing about Argentina, right, is that they're not really that good. Yeah, there's like, always a chance. I mean, they were so close to conceding an equaliser, needing... This is what I... You know, you wrote this amazing piece last week about what appeals to people about Argentina so much. And I've always liked Argentina more than Brazil for whatever reason. Part of it, certainly in recent times, is 
their fallibility. They're in this game where they're playing against mediocre opposition. They've got Leo Messi, the greatest footballer of all time, playing like he's 24. And they still need last-ditch tackles and last-second saves not to have to go to extra time. It's, it's almost like the opposite of the Man City phenomenon that you talk about, where you basically know what's going to happen before the match starts. Yeah, I mean, they... Like the, especially towards the end when when like Argentina were getting, I mean, or Australia rather were getting chance. I mean, the run by Behage was incredible. You know that would that, that would have been a an absolutely amazing goal. Um, this was the the fullback who had given away the who had given away the free kick that Argentina scored from in the first half. Went on this dribble, beat three men, and only the the the, the last guy, I think it was Romero. I'm not 100 percent. Was it maybe Fernandez who stopped him? It was um, Lissandro Martinez came across oh, Martinez. Martinez. Tackles for, Sorry, for yeah, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lissandro Martinez who came on at half time because they switched uh, the system at half time because uh, Papu Gomez, the winger, had been injured. And so they went to sort of three at the back. Um, it's hard to say what worked better because, I mean, they had chances in, in both halves. Um, and obviously they had so many chances in the second half which Latara Martinez was mainly guilty of, of missing, you know, and he's... he's <laughs> Really it's very a terrible it's, World Cup. It is very funny what's happening with Lautaro Martinez. Because, I mean, I, I even heard myself saying it, you know. Someone asking me, um, who do you think is going to win the Golden Boot? I was like, Ooh, well, you know, Lautaro Martinez, you know, is a dark horse. Not having really seen a, much as in any of Lautaro Martinez playing. And ever since the World Cup started, he's been terrible. Like, really? absolutely terrible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, well, like, it, it is just, uh, it's like... You know, he's obviously a very good player. He's obviously very good if people have been tipping him to win the Golden Boot. But, like, in this World Cup, he has been so bad. Yeah, well, I mean, it's kind of based on this is the guy who's going to be, you know, profiting from Messi yes. passing the ball sort of thing. And, you know, he got unlucky, I suppose, against uh, sort of partly bad luck, partly bad execution. Being, you know, he scored twice two disallowed offside goals against uh, Saudi Arabia and... You know, a couple of chances where he really should have been able to stay onside and it went too eagerly. Last night, though, I mean, Messi just lined him up with like a, a you know, this is an easy, easy chance for a, a top forward. And he just absolutely, completely missed the goal, um, which was terrible. But the one great thing I think about Argentina at the moment, since, you know, we can talk about Martinez and, and you know, maybe he'll, unlike Lukaku, at least he gets another chance, you know, I mean, probably will, will come on at some point, at least against. Holland, he might do something, but Julian Alvarez is brilliant, and I think he's a really good uh, player to kind of complement what Messi is doing because he's playing with this great tenacity and drive. I mean, I don't mean to say that he's just he's come some kind of workhorse because I think he's a really, really skillful player, but he's very team-minded. He's very self-sacrificing. You know, he's he's absolutely willing to do all the extra running that this role involves. Um, and he's pretty quick as well. You know what I mean? He's not hes not just like a, a willing uh, uh, a workman like Ford. He is actually, he's, a, he's an all-rounder. Like I'm, I've, been, I've been impressed with by how strong he is. You know what I mean? This is a guy who obviously has been sort of kept on the margins of Man City because they've got Haaland. And it's like, where do, you, where do you fit him in? There's a lot of competition to get in the team. He has makes Argentina a much better team, I think. And you see the finishing as well. And the instinct finishing for the for the goal against Poland was brilliant. The instinct to, to well it's not instinct, it's it's kind of discipline. It's like when our when Australia played that ball back to their goalkeeper, um 
and it was uh, Rodrigo de Paul who was doing the kind of Andy Robertson press going from one player to the next player to the next player as they helpfully kept po passing the ball in the same direction you know what I mean so he could just keep running after it which is so stupid you know from Australia um, that you know and, and Alvarez kind of understood okay this is Rodrigo's doing some good work for the team here but you know what would really help out Rodrigo here is if somebody else came and uh, applied a little bit of extra pressure from a direction that Australia clearly aren't anticipating because this goalkeeper is just watching that ball and uh, was able to come in and steal it. And the finish is actually really good as well. You know, he didn't, there was a defender there, the goalkeeper is sort of in the way, the, the, the direction he's moving as he steals the ball is not, doesn't make it that easy to score. Uh, and he scores brilliantly. So um, I think he's really good, but you know, there are obvious weaknesses in the Argentina team and they're up against the side, a manager who is just uh, a legendary, you know, a legendary, figure among coaches and this could be uh, house. he's high on life did you see the uh, video of him uh, cavorting out of the was it out, was it out of the stadium or out of the hotel so just the time they, they were landing back at their hotel, is, their hotel what I, yeah. is what I'm thinking yes Absolutely getting, so that was yeah. the hotel staff that was welcoming, welcoming them home so it was so cool yeah. dancing yeah. in you know and Van Hal like just <laughs> so funny and you know I was reading obviously, obviously Diego Torres' uh, report on this he was, he was evidently at the USA um Holland, uh, which uh, Netherlands, I should say, of course, which uh, presented him uh, a dilemma because on the one hand, you've got, um, you know, Americans. And on the other hand, you've got uh, Louis van Gaal, who has kind of thrown out the uh, attacking traditions of Dutch football, you know, in, in, his, in, in, in his last uh, campaign, I suppose in the one before, uh, the, the World Cup campaign before, and, you know, he's He's decided to not play in the, the kind of classical Dutch way, but to play on the counter with deep defending, you know, three at the back, two at front. And, you know, this is not this is like nothing really Van Hal did before. Still you know, scored is, the team goal of the tournament. Oh, yeah, 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 no, absolutely. But, but like, again, this is, this is apostasy. You know, this is, this is heresy. Um, so how do, you, how do you play this? I mean, on the one hand, there's this... There's this renegade, uh, renegade Dutchman, and the other hand, you, you got Americans. So essentially, it was to, uh, you know, to uh, talk about the sort of soft simplicity of the of the Americans who were led by the wily Van Hal to dominate in areas that didn't matter, and uh, you know, confused by the f by their feeling of superiority, they uh, kept letting basically dumb freeze just run riot up the. <laughs> right side like Dumfries just absolute wrecking ball in this game and uh, you know the, the soft and simple Americans uh, didn't really know didn't really know what hit them it was a mugging it was a mugging by the Dutch and by the by uh, but you know I just feel as though if any coach is going to be able to put his finger on the weaknesses in Argentina this is the guy who's going to be able to do it and unlike Poland, you know, and unlike Australia, Holland, and unlike Mexico, Holland do, or Netherlands. I just keep thinking of that guy who writes me the angry letters when I say Holland. He's probably not listening, but he's he's still he's in my head. Uh, do you, do you uh, know what? You, you've used Holland so much in this tournament that I thought there was a change. I thought that maybe Holland has be become the way you're supposed to say it again. No, so no, no, I'm just, just I'm just no, used okay. to saying I'm just used yeah. to saying Holland in football. I'm sorry, I just I just grew up with it. I grew up with it. I'm trying to change. I'm trying to change and say Netherlands.
the difference between them and the other teams that Argentina have beaten in the last three matches is that they have, well, a, a great coach, but they also have explosive um, strikers uh, who can, you know, who can score goals, and and they also have, they have strikers in Gakpo and Depay who can score goals out of nothing. Uh, I mean, Lewandowski is a is a better striker, I guess, than either either of those. I mean, you know, he's certainly got a far superior record if you look at goals per games. But he does need the team to help him out. I mean, this is what the Poland manager has been sort of saying. You know, when he, when after the Poland Argentina game where. Lewandowski just looked like one of the ordinary other players next to Messi. He's like, well, yeah, well, you know, we need to, we didn't give him any balls. We need to, we need to help him. We need to give him, yeah. I think that Depay and Gakpo are players of the type who can actually make things happen themselves. So they don't need, and all they need is a ball into the Argentina half and a one-on-one or, you know, one against one against one on a defender. And they can score from that situation. So I think it's obviously going to be a much more difficult game for Argentina, which it should be. This is the quarterfinals of the World Cup. You know, the games are supposed to be, you know, if you've got this far without having some really hard games, you've been lucky. I think they maybe have been a touch lucky so far in, in the opponents that they faced. And uh, and now this is this is, this is is the serious stuff. I, an amazing uh, an amazing match in prospect. And I think as well, the most beautiful kit matchup in the World Cup. Yeah. It's my favorite one, Orange against... <laughs> Like blue and black. I mean, Could it's be. not an important detail, but I just thought I'd share that with you. Man. No, it is. Um, we know all about the history. Listen, we'll talk more about that fixture closer to the time. Monday's games, Japan versus Croatia, three o'clock. Brazil versus South Korea, seven o'clock. Over to you, permutations, man. No, only joking. There are. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, if it finishes in a draw, they'll go to extra time. Get the abacus out. The team, if the teams cannot be separated, then get your, get the abacus out because it's penalties. <laughs> Very quickly, again, Japan, Croatia, Brazil, South Korea. Any chance of a shock at the Brazil game, and who's going to win the other game? Because I have absolutely no idea who's going to win that three o'clock game. I think that Brazil should win, but it's it's sort of interesting. It's an interesting place they're in. You know, obviously they lost the last game, which is not good for their confidence even though it was a game that they the result didn't matter because they were already qualified and you know in the games where they needed to win they've they've done they've done what they had to do they haven't wowed anybody i would say and then they have this problem with neymar he's injured is he going to play i mean what's worse if he's injured and doesn't play or if he's injured and does play you know either way it's bad so yeah i you know it, it will be interesting to see they, however i think they i mean i've seen south korea play and I think that they are not good enough, really, ultimately, to beat Brazil. I think they're a team that's going to work really hard. It's going to be a tough game for Brazil. But I don't see an upset in that one. Brazil I to win, Japan, I see an upset in the other one. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I'm not saying I'm definitely going to see it happen, but I just feel as though Japan have, are the kind of team that could expose Croatia. Is it even a massive upset if Japan beat Croatia at this point? I mean... Yeah. I would say World Cup finalists last time out on. I know, but they haven't I, I, been particularly impressive in, in yeah, the group. I, I mean, I would, say, I would say it's, yeah, I mean, Croatia are, are going to be the favourites. I mean, do you, want, do you want me to check the odds? I mean, will I see nah, it? No, we don't need to do it. No, we? we don't need the odds. We watch enough football between the three of us, Ken. Um, I would, okay, I'm going to give my own opinion. I would not be shocked remotely if Japan beat Croatia. I'm, see, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing this as a 50-50 game. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, Croatia aren't odds on or anything like that, but Japan are three to one. So, uh, you know, Croatia are just uh, just over even. So that's kind of what uh, that's what the bookies are expecting. But yeah, I think that I, I could see Japan beating Croatia. All right. Um, I mean, remember, how I was at Belgium against Croatia. Croatia were not great, 
uh, and they gave away so many chances and they obviously should have lost and we talked at length about the reasons why that didn't happen and it took a very special situation um, with, with Romelu Lukaku and whatever the hell, whatever the hell happened there um, to let them off and yeah so so again Owen, you're, you're saying it's not even an upset I think it could happen uh, but yeah I do expect Brazil to beat South Korea Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen, and thank, thank you, Ken. Owen, and thank you, Karen. Thanks for listening. The Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. If you sign up to the World Service on secondcaptains.com, you'll hear all the episodes ad-free. And we will be back for members only with loads more from the last 16 of the World Cup during the week. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.